good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome back to another episode of Talk Until the Joy is Gone, the broken piece of lead in the mechanical pencil of podcasting. I am the editor, technician, researcher, producer, and co-host of this assault on the sensibilities, and I'm known to my nearest, dearest, and weirdos on the internet as Rooney. And over there is the chap who reads Lad Bible and talks a bit. Reggie. I was expecting more than he reads that Bible and chats a little bit. I mean, I tried to you know, accurately sum up what you really bring to the pod. Well, I didn't get my, I didn't get today's intro from that Bible, so. Oh no, you you've moved on to like the Daily Star now or the Mirror, No, 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 no. We're doing something serious today. Oh, ooh. no Daily Star, no Lab Bible, none of that. It's pure Wikipedia. <laughs> Does this mean it's going to be dry and and is this another historical interlude? Yeah. Well, I kind of felt like I feel I still feel bad after last week where we completely eviscerated a, another podcast. <laughs> so I thought this week I'd bring something that we couldn't we couldn't ruin. To be fair, if if I listened to podcasts, we'd probably do that a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't. <laughs> no, I tried to give you some good podcasts to listen to, and you're still just like, nah, nah I ain't I'm doing right. that. I'm alright, mate. Thanks. <laughs> I'm gonna apologise to the listener base now. If this is the most laid back, subdued podcast ever, but I've been an uncle all day, and I love that he's been an uncle for one day, and he's like, "Oh, I'm knackered. We've got to take it easy tonight." I'm I'm solo parenting right now. I'm splitting my time. I've been working, parenting, and then the missus has gone to work, so I'm solo parenting if and you, now podcasting. You've had seven seven years of practice. No, seven years of being ground down. <laughs> There's precious little left of me. I've only had... This is only my second real day of being an uncle, and it's still traumatising and exhausting. I, don't, I didn't get sick on today, though, so that was pretty good. Oh, this is an improvement. You yeah. did not get puked on. I, had, I did have a moment earlier, though, that I never thought I'd ever have. But there I was with my niece, having a grand old time, and I suddenly thought to myself, having one of these wouldn't be the end of the world. Having my own one wouldn't be the end of the world. It might be quite nice, actually. This And this is the trap. This is how they get you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is like one of those charity muggers where you think, oh, no, yeah, I do like I do like animals, and helping them would be good. That's how they get you. They lure you in, full sense of security. Oh, okay. Before you know it, they've shit on you at 6 a.m., and you're just like, or, or you know, you're trying to get ready for work, and your other half is, is screaming, you've got to come and help me in the bathroom because he's eating his own poo. <laughs> you know, that's how they get you, man. That, this is, it's, don't trust so them. you're telling me that my, my brother's working with some mysterious woman to kind of break me and make me want to be a parent so then that woman can sweep in and uh, you know lock me in an 18 year cage I mean, possibly possibly yeah 18 year cage <laughs> I keep saying that when he gets to 18 that's it he's, some, he's his own problem yeah. it's not yeah. mine and then the people that I work with and I know who have older children they just laugh my mum would laugh at you too yeah yeah i mean yes <laughs> she'd be like 18 fuck that 18, oh, 39 years and he's still fucking he's here, still here. <sighs> lazy cunt <laughs> thinks podcasting once a week is is enough to say he's living a fulfilling life <laughs> he's living a very fulfilling life yeah Goes around the same geezer's house once a fucking week and talks about blowjobs. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure whether he even gets blowjobs while he's there because, you know, they're both a bit suspect. <laughs> both a bit sus. Yeah. We had our concerns about both of them. Yeah. Ever since he first brought him home, I've, we've been worrying. 
<laughs> he said they were just bandmates, but you, you know, we've, we've always wanted. <laughs> he had a girlfriend for years and still didn't stop us wondering. Because <laughs> apparently you can go both ways now. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I've never seen my dad happier than when I first bought a girl home. I can, I can imagine. Yes. There was no, like, you bought a girl home in the middle of the night and <laughs> didn't tell us that she was here and, like, basically just dropped it on us in the morning. It was, oh, you know, thumbs up, well done. Thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember my mum giving me a stern talking to. Um, and this wasn't when I brought my first girlfriend home because that was all done sensibly and above board. Yeah. The first time <laughs> that early in the morning I was ushering a girl out of my parents' house and unfortunately my dad and my sister's boyfriend at the time were up early because uh, that's just what they do apparently and they were just like, all right. I was like, drank too much, I'm going back to bed and just went back to bed and then when I got up my mum was like, no more bringing random girls home. I was like, what? I was like, I brought loads of girls home. She was like, yeah, they were like people you knew or, or you know, they were your, your, your girlfriend at the time. They were not a wee little lassie. They were, no, they were fine with that one. Oh, really? It's like, no, because you've known her for years. You've been friends with her for a while. So that's that's fine. She's like, but not just randoms that you picked up in a nightclub. And I'm thinking, Jesus, mother, you really don't know your son, do you? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate, I was down there. I was cutting shapes. I was, I was sipping my bitter at the bar and bosh, giving it all the chat. Brought the dog home, gave it a bone. <laughs> <laughs> and basically now, this is now just the storyline of Call for Cats. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> oh, God. Funny story. Uh, my, my child used to be obsessed with that when he was a kid, that song. Really? It was on a compilation CD I had in one of my cars before I installed yeah. the, the, the new system, sound system. And, uh, yeah, that, that and Rose, ta- that Rose Tattoo... By um, Dropkick Murphys. I don't know that one. And Shake It Off. You'd know it if you heard it. Oh, okay. Uh, and Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. Well, you know. Songs. We all know that I'm a massive fan of Taylor. Especially that 1989 album. That, that, that 1989 album with Shake It Off on. <laughs> there, I think he's got good taste. And with uh, Call for Cats as well. That's a good one. <laughs> That is a good tune. I don't know why you're laughing. That is, well, I mean, it is, you must yeah. think it's a good tune. It was on your compilation CD. It was on my CD. compilation CD, yeah. How did Taylor Swift get on your compilation CD? Was that an Amy request? I like that request? song. Do you really? I, 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 um, I haven't got the 1989 album. What's the the one she did after that? Oh, I don't know. With uh, Look What You Made Me Do. Uh, I know what one you're talking about. Yeah. I can't remember the name. Uh, that's that's on, in my car at the moment. Oh, really? On my, on my CD. Uh, oh, CD, I never knew. USB stick in my car. I, I never knew you were a fellow Swifty like me. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I just don't hate some of her songs. Oh, that 1989 album is class. I mean, all the way through for a pop album, it is class. You're such a teenage girl, you really. Are. Do Why? you write angsty poems when you go home? Oh, come you have on. a little a notebook somewhere with just shit poetry. <laughs> you know me well enough to know that's true. Yeah, no, that's yeah. true. For years, you tried to palm off as I'm in a band. It's my songbook, yeah. wasn't it? It was just really shit poems. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> I want to die, and then I'll cry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, laugh, that's about guys, the level. <laughs> there's, there's, a nice reason, there's a reason there's a reason I had to stop writing songs for the band, because they, they were all just super depressive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you got a new song. song. What's it about? Oh, oh, another song about another wanting to kill yourself. You are. Oh, great. great. Um, we're going to do this other tune I wrote called Shangri-La. Oh, fucking <laughs> hell. That was a good song. 
<laughs> yeah, do you know what? Band. It was a good song, just not for the people we not were in a band with. <laughs> that all went, Shangra what? And just what? laughed at you for 20 minutes. What was it they called it? I don't know. <laughs> they, they had another fucking name for it. And I just remember a certain member of the band just go, Shangri-La tastes nice. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not the fucking lyrics. It's like, Shangri-La tastes nice. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Hairy little bastard. Well, Shangri-What? Um, don't know what it means. Uh, can you explain it? Oh, it means like, oh, um, no, I don't, I don't, I, I still don't, don't get I it. I still don't understand um, it. That's an obtuse concept as beyond <laughs> drinking. If they don't know what Shangri-La means, they're never going to be using words like why, obtuse. This is why I struggle, right? Because I'm like, right, I'll, I'll lower, I don't mean lower, guys. I will adjust my conversational abilities to the people I'm with. <laughs> Although sometimes if people are really posh, I find myself going proper East End, yeah. which is funny because I'm from Harlow, not the East yeah. End. But I do that sometimes. Um, but then I try and like drop it down so far, and I realise I don't have love the, the words. vocabulary. <laughs> yeah, I'm like obtuse. Um, 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 think of a um, think of a layman's word for obtuse. It's difficult, uh, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh crap! I'm oh. just going to have to go back to saying things oh, like buggery and damnation. I fools that right. I'm having that. <laughs> Damn nation, <laughs> you say? <laughs> Give me butter jiffy, and I'll I'll, I'll recabulate my lexicon. <laughs> <laughs> I do find when I'm around posh people, like I start, I start like getting like proper like, what well, one? Yeah, what's up in it? And I just go pure street, and I don't know why. I'm, you should be yeah. doing. It's like I'm so proud of my working class roots that I just got to get even more working class. Even more working class. <laughs> anyway, I'm fairly certain your intro uh, this week is, is not to discuss no, it was quite, vocabularies. It was quite serious. And then when you started saying things like I bought, bought her home and gave the dog a bone, I was like, is this really a good week for great women of history? Oh, fuck my life. Not again. Well... Is it Wonder Woman? It's not, no. Is it but, Power Girl? Because she's got massive personality. Who? Power Girl. I don't know who Power Girl is. Oh, she's like Wonder Woman, but she's got short blonde hair, wears a white leotard, and has tits that would knock you out. Oh, okay. So the next great woman of history will be Power Girl. But I didn't know about her this week. So How do I know about a comic book character you don't? I don't know. I, um, I kind of felt that like because the subject matter was so... Masculine. It is very masculine. I should balance it out with uh, a great woman from history. Um, but before I get into it, I'd like all of the space monkeys and the listeners, or anyone out there that knows how to get in touch with us. That's like you know, Facebook, Instagram, the Space Monkey Group. Um, that, that's basically all of you. You all know how to get in touch with us. Or talk dot until at gmail dot com if you want to send an email. Just let us know if you want me to keep on with Great Women of History. Please, for the love of God, tell him you don't. <laughs> There's one more that I'm definitely going to do regardless, and then after that, it's up to you guys can't if you want me to mom. keep. Can I not? No. <laughs> oh, but I wanted to be an Ethan. You also can't cover her in Great Women of History. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you missed my joke. Oh, I made a. Uh, uh, subject matter related joke and no. oh, so you. sad so sad much sadness many fucks given you've taken all the wind out of myself <laughs> just get on right this week <laughs> spotlight on the great women of history brings us Amelia Earhart do you know much about Amelia Earhart um she was in an episode of Star Trek uh 
Voyager. Was she really? Yeah, apparently she was abducted by some aliens. <laughs> and then Voyager found that the cryo cells had been held in and released them. And she was sensible. Her co-pilot tried to shoot Janeway. Really? Yeah. Have you not seen that episode? I thought you liked Voyager. I have. I've seen all the Voyagers. I don't remember... Emilia Rathart paid more attention it was a long time ago to be fair yeah too I wasn't uh, at that point I wasn't keeping an eye out of uh, you know great women of history in the sci-fi realm content for the pod (laughs) all I really remember is seven and nine oh yeah I remember seven of nine she didn't come in until like third series or something (laughs) (laughs) she can assimilate me anytime anyway right yeah, yeah, great woman of history, right? Sherry Ryan, is she on that list? <laughs> no, but she will be. <laughs> Seven of nine was Borg. She assimilated everybody. She assimilated my dick. <laughs> How comes, right? I come with this really serious stuff. And the minute the two of us get in a room with a mic, we just, we just regress to being like, Fucking children again. <laughs> uh, 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 she can touch my dick. Did she yeah. assimilate these? These. Yeah, did she assimilate these nuts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I should just skip my intro. <laughs> this is what happens when we get to the end of. I'm at the end of a work day, guys, and I, I'm sleep deprived for yeah. the last three nights. Um, so it's, just, it's, all, it's all gone a bit wrong. <laughs> Don't worry. Next week we can record on Saturday. Next week we're back to some some form yeah. of normality. <laughs> um, right, <clears throat> Amelia Earhart. Amelia Mary Earhart was born on July twenty fourth, eighteen ninety seven. She disappeared July second, nineteen thirty seven, and was declared dead on January the fifth, nineteen thirty nine. Crap! <laughs> Just take out half the yeah. studio. Sorry, Amelia was an American aviation pioneer and author. She was the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean, as well as setting many other records and writing best-selling books about her flying adventures. She was instrumental in the formation of the 99s, an organisation for female pilots. See, like, all I've done is two paragraphs, and already she's just, like, bigging up the other women, proving women... More than you and me combined in her life. Okay, did yeah. she, when was she declared dead? How old was she? Um, I don't know. We'll figure out again. Like <laughs> younger than us. Younger than us. Yeah, is the important the important factor to take away there. So you know, I come under the, with this kind of angle of like I'm picking up the great women of history, but really I'm just pouring shame on the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, Amelia's first flight came on December twenty eighth, nineteen twenty, when her and her father visited an airfield owned by the famed air racer frank hawks this experience would change amelia's life forever hawks took amelia up for 10 minutes at a cost of ten dollars and afterwards she said by the time i'd got two or three hundred feet off the ground i knew i had to fly well you know amelia i am meant to be bigging you up here but at two or three hundred feet in the air if you're not going to fly, you're going to crash. <laughs> now determined to learn how to fly, Amelia worked a variety of jobs, including photographer, truck driver, stenographer, and at the local telephone company. Eventually, she saved $1,000 for flying lessons. Amelia had her first lesson with Anita Snook, another pioneering female aviator, on January the 3rd, 1921. 
Earhart's commitment to flying required her to accept the frequent hard work and rudimentary conditions that accompanied early aviation training. She chose a leather jacket, but aware that other aviators would be judging her, she slept in it for three nights to give the jacket a worn look. To complete her image transformation, she also cropped her hair short in the style of other female flyers. Six months later, in the summer of 1921, Earhart purchased a second-hand bright yellow Kinner Airster biplane, she nicknamed Le Canary. On October 22nd, 1922, Earhart flew the Canary to an altitude of 14,000 feet, setting a world record for female pilots. On May 15th, 1923, Amelia became the 16th woman in the United States to be issued with a pilot's license. So she set a world record and then didn't get a pilot's license till like a year later. Yeah. It makes no real sense. You'd think if she was able to fly and set a record, she would already have had a license by that point. You would assume that because yeah. she flew up to like that height, presumably unaided, in order mm. to set a record for her. But. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense. That's no. like saying you broke it. I suppose you can break like land speed records without owning a driver's license. Can you? You need a license to, to, to drive on roads, but if you want that to the middle of desert. If you're doing it yeah, on private land or something like that, oh, yeah. then you don't need it. So okay, it's not, as, not as strange as I thought it was. Right. Financial problems and a divorce of her parents led to Amelia's relocation in Massachusetts in 1927. Still obsessed with flying, she joined the American Aeronautical Society's Boston chapter and was eventually elected as vice president. What you're going to find is she's like president or vice president <laughs> of everything. <laughs> Earhart flew the official first official flight out of Denison Airport in 1927 and along with acting as a sales representative for Kinner, in Boston, she also wrote newspaper columns extolling the virtue of flying whilst her local celebrity grew. It was at this point that she laid out plans for an organisation dedicated to female pilots. After Charles Lindbergh's solo flight across the Atlantic in 1927, Amy Guest expressed an interest in being the first woman to fly across the Atlantic. However, after deciding the trip was too perilous, she offered to sponsor the project, suggesting another girl with the right image should make the trip instead. So basically, she's like, too dangerous to me, but I'll pay for someone else to do it. Find me a sucker. I'll pay for them to do it. Um, in April 1928, Amelia received a phone call from Captain Hilton H. Riley, who propositioned her with the adventure. Amelia was asked to accompany pilot Wilma Stoltz and mechanic Louis Gordon on the flight as a passenger with the added duty of keeping the flight log. Since most of the flight was on instruments that Earhart had no training for, she did not pilot the aircraft. When interviewed after landing, she said, Stoltz did all the flying. He had to. I was just baggage, like a sack of potatoes. Before adding, maybe someday I'll try it alone. When Stoltz, Gordon and Earhart returned to the USA, they were greeted with a ticker tape parade along the Canyon of Heroes in Manhattan, followed by a reception with President Calvin Coolidge at the White House. First, we need a Canyon of Heroes in London because that is the best fucking name for a street ever. Secondly, Calvin Coolidge. What a name. 
What a name. It sounds like it should be in the beverage industry. It sounds like he should be a rapper, like Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> um, following her greatest celebrity, Amelia began a lecture tour, authored a book, and began endorsing luggage and women's wear. In 1929, Amelia was among the first aviators to promote commercial air travel. She later became vice president of National Airways, which conducted the flying operations of the Boston to Maine Airway. Although Amelia had gained fame for her transatlantic flight, she endeavoured to set an untarnished record of her own. So just as her name was coming into the spotlight, she set off on her first long solo flight. In August 1928, Amelia became the first woman to fly solo across the North American continent and back. On April 8, 1931, Amelia set a world altitude record of 18,415 feet. While to a reader today it might seem that Earhart was engaged in flying stunts, her activities, along with those of other female flyers, were crucial in making the American public air-minded and it helped convince them that aviation was no longer just for daredevils and supermen. During this period... Earhart became involved with the 99s, an organisation of female pilots providing moral support and advancing the cause of women in aviation. She suggested the name based on the number of charter members and she became the organisation's first president in 1930. It's a pretty lazy naming convention. Yeah. She's like, how many? 99? Well, I would just be 99. It's fine. We need to promote the interests of Charlie Donnie's the world over. I thought they were meant to be like encouraging more women to become pilots, not air hostesses. No, but I've never seen the pilot of any plane I've ever flown on. Oh, I have. So I therefore, really? Yeah. The, the first, first time we went abroad with him. Yeah. Um, when we landed, we, we were sat right, right at the front of the plane. Yeah. We seats there for the extra leg room. Yeah. And we obviously we could see the fucking cockpit door. Yeah. And the, the, the bloody stewards um, and stewardesses were all falling over Cody because he was so well behaved and such a delightful yeah. child. And he, he genuinely was when he was ill. Um, and when we landed, they were like, Would you like to have a look in the cockpit? And I was like, Yes, he bloody would. <laughs> yes, and was completely unfazed yeah. and was just like, Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, Oh my god, this is so cool. Look at the, oh my god. And then yeah, the two guys were like, Yeah. I could just imagine you just pushing Cody out of the way and being no, like, talk to me, talk to me, <laughs> tell me, what does this do, what does that do, what does this do, where do you fire the rockets, what do you mean there's no rockets, where's the button to put X-Balls in attack position, what, what do you mean there isn't one, oh fuck's sake, <laughs> With the list of air marshals you have on board. <laughs> <laughs> and is any of them a bad motherfucker? <laughs> um, in the leather jacket that really should be more yeah. worn in. On the morning of May 20th, 1938, you should have slept in it for at you least three nights. I'm just thinking, I, I might have to sleep in my Canadian yeah. jacket to give it that warning. I look. think so, for the next three weeks, just to make I'm sure. Not now, because it's way too yeah. fucking hot for that. <laughs> On the morning of May 20th, 1932, 34-year-old Amelia set off from Harbour Grace, Newfoundland, with a copy of the Telegraph Journal, given to her by journalist Stuart Truman to confirm the date of her flight. She intended to fly to Paris 
to emulate Charles Lindbergh's solo flight five years earlier. After a flight lasting 14 hours and 56 minutes, during which she contended with strong northerly winds, icy conditions and mechanical problems, Amelia landed in a pasture at Colmore, north of Derry, Northern Ireland. The landing was witnessed by farmers, and when one asked, Have you flown far? Amelia simply replied, From America. <laughs> As the worst worst <clears throat> as the first woman to fly solo non-stop across the atlantic amelia received the distinguished flying cross from congress the cro- this is this one's got the weirdest name the cross of knight of the legion of honor from the french government and the gold medal of the national geographic society from P- president herbert hoover on june 1st 1937 amelia and fred noonan began their second attempt at circumnavigating the globe by air. They departed from Miami and after numerous stops in South America, Africa, India and Southeast Asia, they arrived at Leh, New Guinea on June 29th. At this stage, they had completed about 22,000 miles of the journey with the remaining 7,000 miles taking them over the Pacific Ocean. On July 2nd, 1937... <laughs> you, I don't know if you can hear that, but you definitely can't see that. <laughs> Before he dives into another page of notes. On July 2nd, 1937, at midnight, Amelia and Fred took off from Leigh, but never made it to their destination, which was Howland Island. There, have been, there has been considerable speculation on what happened to Amelia and Fred. Most historians hold to the simple crash and sink theory, but a number of other possibilities have been proposed, including several conspiracy theories. Right, I didn't have the time today to delve into all of them, so you have to look them up yourself. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> half measures, Reggie. I had to do a fucking intro, note, film notes, and be an uncle today, so you're lucky you got anything. This is but... Hang on. This is but a brief glimpse of a fascinating woman. There is a lot more to her story, and if you have found her as fascinating as I have, I implore you to do your own research. There you go. I mean, that was... Whilst interesting, (laughs) sometimes you come in with stuff for these episodes, and I'm just like, did not see that coming. And it's just... That's the point. That's the whole point. If you don't see it coming... The listeners don't see it coming. Heaven forbid anyone listens to this for entertainment. And, you know, it's like, oh, I'll put this How on. How is that not entertaining? I'll put this on, it'll keep me awake whilst I'm driving to work. And oh, yeah. you get to this and it's just you going... Yeah. <laughs> 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 and they're going to be asleep by now. Sorry, Stace, because you've probably fallen asleep at the wheel listening to this. I'm just trying to like big up the women and you know not be smutty. Like, and my entire thing is we can only do smut occasionally. We can't do smut all the time. So when you're writing in about whether you want great women of history to continue, you might want to add whether how much more smut you want on the podcast. I mean, if any of you bother to engage with any of our social media, I, mean, I say this any. is basically just a message to Stace to, <laughs> to let us know if she wants me to keep boring her with. Uh, I mean, there's a handful of you that do it. Um, but, you know, the rest of you that are listening to this, especially ones in the woodwork, you don't have to come out of the closet, as uh, Reggie phrased it last week. No, but you can start a, an anonymous email address and just email us from it. I mean, you, you could. Or, you know, like I could, if, if any of you actually interacted, I'd put a poll up where you could just vote anonymously. And, you know, like, 
more interesting facts from Reggie about famous women in history or more smart? I'm definitely doing one more. He's definitely doing one more. Definitely guys, so doing one brace more. Yourself. Brace, brace yourselves for that. Is it going to be about uh, Miss Chesty LaRue? It's going to be about Florence Nightingale. Oh, that's going to be boring as hell. I went to the Florence Nightingale Museum and it was brilliant. Do it about someone obscure. I did did think, once I was halfway through these notes, I kind of thought to myself, I should have just Googled great women of porn. (laughs) So I might do that as well in the future. Next week's episode is going to be like fucking Sasha Gray. No, it's going to be a few weeks before we come back to this. Oh, good. We've got cryptids to do. We've got... We've got all kinds of nonsense to do as well. We're still waiting to hear from uh, from the dogging community. Oh yeah, come on, doggers! And all the Hornby train community. <laughs> At this point, we'll accept we'll accept submissions from anyone. <laughs> we know you're out there, guys. We know yeah. you're out there because we see the numbers going up every week. So we know there's more of you now than there were this time last year. You've got no excuse. I was thinking about this. Like the numbers do keep going up, and. We are starting to see a few people come out of woodwork. See, see what I did? Yeah, well done. You didn't refer and to them as being gay. No. Congratulations. <laughs> this is growth. I'm not sure what kind of growth or whether it's worth calling out on the pod, but, you know, continue anyway. <laughs> you think this is bad, guys? We haven't even got into my notes. I rip him a new one at least once in my notes today. Uh, um, yeah, the numbers keep going up. Mm-hmm. And we are starting to see like a very tiny percentage of them numbers actually come out and say, you know, like I actually listen to it. But <laughs> do you think all the others are just one-offs or do you think there is actually a continual if listenership? If it's one-offs, I would be incredibly surprised because there's a lot of them yeah. every month coming back. And I know there are a lot of people out there listening to podcasts, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it's one-offs. So at least there's got to be a core of them that are coming back at so least semi-regularly. A core of cheap cunts that won't buy a T-shirt. They won't buy a fucking T-shirt or even a sticker. Yeah. We have dildo-shaped stickers. Yeah. Okay, what more could you ask for, guys? You could stick that on your car, on your fridge, on your laptop. On your forehead. On your forehead. I mean, I wouldn't advise doing that. Go for the T-shirt option if you really want to wear it out because you can get it on a T-shirt. And if, if anybody's interested, I may even put it on some leggings. <laughs> Because that was like amazing. Just stick it on the arse. No, just be a massive orange dildo going up the leg. The same touchy. Now, because fuck you, fashion. That's why. I've never once worn my pride t-shirt out of the house without getting at least one weird skeptical look. Could you imagine the weird skeptical looks that all the females are going to get if they walk out, walking around with a giant dildo hey, on the side of their leggings? The females, guys, can wear it too. They are unisex leggings. I am reliably informed. <laughs> I think they're actually just women's leggings that they're just branding as, as you yeah, know, unisex, unisex because 2021. Yeah, um, I mean, just wear what you want. <laughs> just wear what you want. It may chafe a bit around the nuts until you break them in. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't got a pair uh, yet. So you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna rip me a new one today? Uh, I, I have I have a couple of less than less than pleasant notes. Uh, to be fair, to, to be fair, I got enough of them. I've had enough of them yes. in the last 70 episodes on you. You have indeed. It's my time. It's my time in the barrel this week. <laughs> so this was your choice this week. It was. Are this, you going to tell everyone what we, what we watched? This week we watched Zack Snyder's comic book adaption of 300. We did indeed. And I have a fuck ton of trivia about it. Good. I tried to avoid going too much into the, you know, Oh, well, actually, in the real world, when this happened... Oh, well, I have to admit at this point, I also watched a documentary about it this week. Oh, did you? So I've got some 
I've got my notes contain some like <laughs> this is historically accurate. This isn't not, historically clear. Yeah. This is how they did I've this. I've got a couple of bits like that, okay. but not not many because um, I did that too much during Ironclad and the <laughs> Kingdom of Heaven, and I don't have a high horse to get up on about the Spartans. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, without further ado. It was released on the 14th of February 2007 at the Berlin International Film Festival. Oh, I didn't realise it was that old. And March the 9th of the same year, everywhere else. Ah. Uh, directed, obviously, by Zack Snyder. Screenplay by Zack Snyder, Kurt Johnstad and Michael B. Gordon, based on the graphic novel 300 by Frank Miller and Lynn Varley. Yep. Uh, starring Gerard Butley. Butley. It's <laughs> because I already think, how do you pronounce Lena? Heedy. He is Heedy. Yeah. Right. That's how I'm saying it in my notes anyway. <laughs> Butler. Yeah. Lena Heedy, uh, David Wenham, Dominic West, and Michael Fassbender in his feature film debut. Yeah, I didn't. Do you know what? I've seen this film a lot of times. It wasn't till this time that I was like, hang on. Hang, hang on. on. I know yeah, you. I know you. Yeah. <laughs> um, had a budget of 60 to 65 million US dollars. A box office of 456.1 million US dollars. Not bad at all, is it? It's a lot more than they expected. Yeah, I bet it's like 390 million profit. Yeah. (sighs) Um, uh, The film is a shot-for-shot adaptation of the comic book, similar to the film adaptation of Sin City. Snyder photocopied panels from the comic book, from which he planned the preceding and succeeding shots. Yeah. He said, it was a fun process for me to have a frame as a goal to get to. He said, like the comic book, the adaptation also used the character Dilios as a narrator. Snyder used this narrative technique to show the audience that the surreal Frank Miller world, as he describes it, of 300, was told from a subjective perspective. By using Dilios's gift of storytelling, he was able to introduce fantasy elements into the film, explaining that Dilios is a guy who knows how not to wreck a good story with the truth. Snyder also added the subplot in which Queen Gorgo attempts to rally support for her husband. I got a note here that basically just says <clears throat> from the very first scene I love how this film is a literal comic book translation with the narration on top of the striking visuals I've never read it I probably should I've got it at home you can borrow it awesome if it's a present <laughs> somebody bought me as, as a present um, a very good present <laughs> the line come back with your shield or on it was a common phrase by Spartan women to their sons and husbands mm. Soldiers would drop their heavy shields when they ran, and their wives would rather they come home dead than a coward, and dead soldiers were often carried home on their shields. Yeah, there goes one of my notes for later in the film. Bits of them that they could find. (laughs) I'm good at stealing your notes. Um, When the Persians demand that the Spartans surrender their weapons, and Leonidas replies to come and get them, according to ancient historian Herodotus, Leonidas actually said that. It has also been adopted as the motto of the Greek army's first corps. Oh, I didn't know that. I knew the first bit. I didn't know the second bit. Yeah. Um, the script demanded that most of the male cast spend the majority of their screen time bare-chested, as per Frank Miller's original graphic novel. To adequately present themselves as the most well-trained and martial fighting force of the time, the entire principal cast underwent a rigorous eight-week training regime organised by Mark Twight, a world record-holding professional mountain climber. 
Actors never repeated the same exercise twice, preventing the body from adapting to any one type of exertion. Gerard Butler has said that the training was the most difficult thing he has ever had to do in his life. I was going to say, he's never looked as good no. as he does in this. Uh, when it was over, Twight admitted that he pushed the actors as hard as he's ever pushed anyone before, including himself. Could you, could you imagine Fassbender? <laughs> he's like, yes, I finally got a film. Oh no, <laughs> eight weeks later, <laughs> they just killed him off. <laughs> he's like, I don't want to be an actor oh, anymore. So I I also read somewhere that although their physiques are mostly kind of hewn of hard work and they've done mm. there is a little bit of uh CG See, touch there up. There is a little yeah. bit. It's not as bad as um uh Grendel. Oh yeah. yeah. That with fucking Ray Winston, yeah. who obviously at the time was like a 50-something yeah. London geezer with a kebab beer belly. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, they made him into this sculpted golden god. Yeah. It was just painful to see. I think this was just a little bit of touching up around the edges. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine. Um, Leonidas's final words to Ephialtes, may you live forever, are an insult against a hunchback's desire to be a Spartan, yeah. whose greatest glory is to die on the battlefield. After the events at Thermopylae, the word, the word Ephialtes entered the Greek language, meaning nightmare, or to describe someone as the ultimate traitor. Oh, I didn't know that. So my name will be changed in backdated episodes to Ephialtes yeah. when I uh, run off to join Joe Rogan. <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've already got Lou and Ash lined up. I've, I've been breaking them in as guests. And then when you run off to Twitch, yeah. I'll, I'll start a new podcast with them. Well, I'll become a cabin boy for Rob Rogan. Um solely mentioning his name so that I can tag him because he's he's just just small enough at the moment that he still responds to tweets okay <laughs> um, what was I going to say Michael Fassbender's character kind of explains what you just said earlier on when um, he gets really when he's with the Arcadian and he gets really kind of excited about yeah. seeing the mass army and they're like what are you so excited Why? about and he's like <laughs> I've fought many times and no one has bettered me yet but like of all the armies of the world here maybe there's someone that can do it and that kind of explains that whole like it's the ultimate glory yeah to die on the battlefield as a spartan so fm whatever his face is effie that's the one he's gonna he, he, all he ever really wanted to do was be a spartan wasn't mm. he and then when they wouldn't have him he traitored and yeah traitored <laughs> um it was the highest grossing r-rated comic book film ever made until the release of Deadpool. Yeah, I was going about to, I almost said that. Oh. Yeah, at the time it was, and then yeah. obviously Deadpool came along and blew all that out of the water and just basically showed, yeah, no, look, adults who like swearing yeah. also will come and pay to see comic book films, guys. Yeah, especially if you put Pegan in them. <laughs> especially if you put Miranda Backer in yeah. them. Doing the Pegan, yeah. Put, put her in yeah. anything like I'm paying to see. <laughs> to be fair, I'd let her peg me. Yeah, I'd pay her to peg me, Jesus. Um, in real life, Queen Gorgo said the line because only Spartan women give birth to real men, yeah. but not to the Persian messenger. According to the Greek historian Plutarch, who obviously we all know, yeah. uh, <laughs> in book three of his Moralia, called Sayings of the Spartans, she said it to an Athenian woman who asked her, why can Spartan women speak amongst men? Oh, okay. So th there are some historical accuracies oh yeah there is quite a few to be honest yeah there's, there's, it's, there it's quite, quite a few how many you managed to get in yeah um, 
The film's unique look was created in post-production using an effect nicknamed The Crush. As producer Jeffrey Silver explains in the films, on the film's official website, you crush the black content of the image and enhance the colour saturation to change the contrast ratio of the film. That means absolutely nothing to me. Me too. Maybe some of you, like graphic designers, follow me and those sorts of... I was going to say like film students, but... There's no self-respecting film student out there listening to Touch You. No, no, this is their dogging, remember? Oh, yeah, this is their dogging. This is their dogging. When so. they're bored of listening to, like, you know, factual... <laughs> sensible. Sensible. Discourse on films. They come to us and they get the dogging us. perspective. Right, what film they ruined this week? Oh, 300. <laughs> this will be a laugh. Um, this will be a laugh. So, anyway, me and your heart, right? Listen, I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to show that this... Podcast can be an onion. There's many layers. It's not just filth. And it makes him cry. <laughs> and at the end of the yeah, to be fair, at the, at the end of the day, like we don't want to just become this two-dimensional filth merchants, do we? We want to let the world know that there's more to us. How are we gonna, ever going to parlay this into something better okay, if people uh, just uh, think uh, we're filth merchants? We can have spin-offs where people will listen to it and go, oh, actually, no, this is suitable. I'll suggest this to my spouse and/or friend and/or colleague. All right, so maybe I should just do a solo podcast about great women of history and not bring them back here anymore. I mean, there it is. How much stuff? How many, how many spin-off podcasts do we have planned where one of us has gone, actually, no, I just want to talk about that for 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where people are tuning in expecting to hear you go, anyway, notice me, senpai. Um, what a brother. <laughs> He's sitting here pouting now, guys. It's just not fair. I mean... <laughs> there's so much pressure on me to bring intros and i'm trying to bring a broad range of intros for our female listeners for the filth merchants for the conspiracy theorists Look, and all you, i do is get mocked you do you hun i'm, I'm sure, sure someone out there's interested. that's not fucking that's <laughs> hey, not fucking condescending or... <laughs> at all is it no. you, you, hun. yeah i'm sure you've got a wonderful personality um Warner Brothers was hoping for a gross in the region of Sin City's $74 million. As we alluded to earlier, they yeah. made significantly more than that, which pleased them no end. Yeah. Um, Tim Connolly, who plays Leonidas' father, was also Gerard Butler's stock double. Oh. I can see why, because yeah. in those flashback scenes, I was like, wait, did they use Gerard Butler's play his own yeah. dad? But no, they used a stunt double who really fucking looks like him. Yeah. Um, this was Michael Fassbender's first big budget film and he claimed that he was surprised at the extravagance oh, okay. Fassbender told a story of how he was given an allowance to pay for an apartment during the shoot but when he, sh- when he saw the luxurious trailer provided for the set he felt like he could have just lived in the trailer for the duration wow that was so that was so fascinating and entertaining wasn't it though it's a good thing that uh, you're here to make our episodes better <laughs> was shot in chronological order which no doubt assuages your uh, yeah you could have been in I, could, I could have worked on this film you could have, you could have done this I could have held like, the, oh, boom yeah, mic, the boom mic or the boom mic or something yeah or painted the, the painted the green screen for him or done, I could have done something no they used blue screen oh did they? the red shows up better on the blue screen than it does on the oh, blue okay. screen so 80% of the special effects were done on blue rather than green this is a question I got for you right is there any because you're quite you know quite a lot of bullshit information yes yes I do is there any historic relevance to why the Greeks and the Romans both wore the same shade of red? Um, I don't think so. Okay, moving on. None that I'm aware of. Um, I just bigged you up and you just let us down. I don't know everything. Between me and my brother, uh, <laughs> we know, you know everything in the world. <laughs> now you know it feels to be me. 
So ask me a question. Ask you a question. Um, what's the body count for this film? Oh, you have to wait for that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> when he was a child, <laughs> Frank Miller saw the Rudolf, Rudolf Maté film The 300 Spartans. Oh, okay. With Richard Egan as King Leonidas and was deeply affected by it. He has explained that the film altered his perception of the hero concept insofar as he came to realise the hero didn't always win and that sometimes to be a hero one must sacrifice oneself. Yeah. Kind of like I do on this podcast every week. Oh, um, here we go. Ever since he saw the movie he has been fascinated with Thermopylae. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me. I wondered, I often wondered like was was he like rich really into history or where did this kind of idea of yeah. doing this come from? But there he is. It's, it's funny because watched a like, film as a child. It's a film based on the actual historic. Well, this is this is a film yeah. based on a comic book based on a film yeah. of an actual historical event. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're all about fucking Chinese whispers, uh, and here is a podcast based on a film yeah. about a comic book about a film about an actual event. Yeah, <laughs> meta. Um, in calling the site of the battle the Hot Gates, the film uses the literal translation of the name Thermopylae, which translates to Hot Gateway. Okay. The name refers to the hot springs that are found nearby. I didn't know that. I do wonder if, like, any of the Spartans during the downtime just nipped off. Oh, I the bet hot they springs, did, yeah. Spa, you know. Well, it it was said in this documentary I watched that the that before one of the battles, the the uh, the Persians watched on as as the Greeks kind of had a bath, sorted themselves <laughs> out, brushed their hair, yeah. and and like made sure they were immaculate like ready to fight and they were all just watching them like the fuck are they doing we're about to go to war what are they doing but apparently it was highly important to the greeks to always be turned out and to yeah. look your best even if you're about to die well, they, they regarded themselves as, as the civilized world yeah everyone else was barbarians um only two gallons of fake blood was used really is that the rest it? was added in post-production Oh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so much of this film yeah. was added in post-production. 99% of the film was <laughs> added in post-production. Um, you can calm down, and uh, Peter can also get off of their high horses and extinguish their torches, because 13 mechanical horses were built to be speared in October. Good. During the uh, the cavalry scenes. Good, good, good. Uh, the film was photographed almost entirely on a soundstage in Montreal, using blue screen and green screen backgrounds. The only part of the movie not shot on the soundstage was the shot of the Persian messengers appearing over the top of the hill as they galloped towards Sparta, which was shot on location in LA. Okay. So can you imagine, like, you audition for the film, you get this film, you get the call to say that you like you, you are going to be in it, and you're thinking, <laughs> yes, three months in Greece. Yeah. Sun, sea, it's going to be brilliant. And they're like, we're off to Canada. <laughs> yeah, off to Canada, into this big warehouse. Yeah. What? Um, there are 1,523 cuts in the film, with over 1,300 visual effect shots comprising 8,631 visual effect elements. Oh, fucking that is a lot. Yes. It took like fucking three years or something in post. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it was some obscene... It, the film itself was shot in like 60 days. Oh, yeah, I bet, it yeah. It forever in post being created over yeah. by the VFX artists. Uh, the goat-headed minstrel yes. was designed by Adam Foreman, Zack Snyder's personal tattoo artist. It's just... I've got a note on it. Where is it? Um, 
the goat man is pretty terrifying and i don't ever remember him seeing it before in any version of this film i saw and then this time i was just like what what the fuck did that come from screen for about like five seconds and you're like where did it come from and he's really muddy in the waters more than you know the immortals (laughs) and the giant but like i can kind of get them but now there's a fucking goat man. What the fuck? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, you, I would have thought that like that would have been like locked in my memory yeah, from the first time I watched it. It's a distinct thing, but yeah. I suppose it's one of those things that if you happen to be, I don't know, looking away to do yeah. something, getting popcorn or something like that. I was half expecting you to say that it was added in at a later date and the version I watched on, on Netflix was like some kind <laughs> of weird extended cut. Apparently it's there all along and we all just had the fucking Mandela effect. Yeah, Jesus. Didn't realise. Uh, James Cameron is apparently a big fan of the film. Yeah, shocker. Um, I only have two alternate casting choices. Okay. Sienna Miller and Sylvia Colocca. I'm assuming that's the right pronunciation. I only know Sienna. I don't know the other one. Um, Were each considered for the role of Queen Gorgo. I think they went with the right person. Yeah, this was her sort of breakout role, wasn't it? Yeah. In real life, Leonidas' last words were, Tonight we shall dine with Hades. Oh, okay. Not tonight we should die in hell. Uh, hell, with one L, yeah. is the Norse underworld. Yeah. But the name became synonymous with the Christian Inferno in later days when Christians just went around stealing all the best bits from other world religions. And the Greek equivalent is Hades, is Hades obviously. Which I know from reading Mythos. I am yeah. three quarters of the way through Mythos yeah. at the moment. So um, I also spent, also sunk like about 20 hours into Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is all set in ancient Greece. Oh, okay. It's, so, it's good to know you did... You did... I did my research. Good amount of research for this. <laughs> the character of Didios, played by David Wenham, seems to be in part based on the actual historical figure of Aristodemus. According to historian Herodotus, he was the sole Spartan survivor of the Battle of Thermopylae, having been dismissed from the force by Leonidas on account of an eye infection, not a wounded eye. Oh, okay. Uh, but rather than returning to lead any Spartan force, uh, Aristodemus was considered a coward until he redeemed himself by fighting partially blind and dying in the Battle of Plataea a year later. The battlefield on which Didios is seen yeah. uh, delivering his speech in the movie's narrative, yeah. uh, where the Persian invasion was finally defeated. Yeah. So, which is yeah. not historically accurate. No. no. <laughs> historically, um, well, what we see at Thermopylae is only half the battle. There was a major sea battle going on as well because mm. the Persians knowing that they had to kind of come through the hot gates tried to send their immense fleet around so they could kind of come up behind and yeah. get them in a pincer movement but the the Greek navy which was well I think there was like I don't know someone like 70 Greek ships yeah. to a thousand yeah. um, Persian ships but they managed they kind of pulled off the same thing and managed to block this tiny little kind of I don't know river or whatever it was yeah it. and stop them but um, I don't know what, where was I going with this I have no idea um, what started that <laughs> fuck <laughs> we'll just move on to the next I don't, I don't like podcasting in the evening anymore in the film the Spartans are aided by Arcadians that retreat when the Persians are shown the goat path yes in the comic they were aided by Thespians who attempt to stop the Persians at the goat path and are slaughtered to the last man this was a reference to Herodotus's description of the Battle of Thermopylae, where most Greeks fled when they discovered they were flanked, save for the Spartans who opted to stay and the Thespians who refused to leave the Spartans. Though it's usually stated that the Spartans were legally not allowed to retreat, 
Many historians believe that the reason was far more altruistic. Unless stalled, it's likely the Persians would have caught up with the 3,000 Greek soldiers who were retreating. Mm. By covering the retreat, the Spartans and the Thespians prevented Persian cavalry from passing through the open ground and reaching the other Greeks. Yes, so I remember where I was going as well now. Oh, yeah. The end of the war came after Thermopylae. Mm. Uh, what was remaining of the Greek um, navy mm. kind of hid out at sea and then as the greek as the persians were trying to come up and because they burnt uh athens to the ground mm. and they were come coming around greece to kind of invade um the greek navy took them out but they lost so many the persians lost so many ships that xerxes was forced to kind of like be like no we, we gotta go home if we don't go home we've not got enough ships so <laughs> it's either get out now or we, we're stuck here forever but um, yeah, so that's it. Was actually the navy that finished that it. Actually finished it. Yeah. Now I have a body count. Yes, I was really I texted you about this. I'm you quite, did, yes. quite excited. On screen, yes, we see 585 oh. deaths, 33 of which are shown to be directly thanks to Leonidas. Yeah, that doesn't count uh, ones that he shield bashed off the edge yeah. of cliffs or into other people. Okay. So I did some math. Yes. Uh, and after subtracting Leonidas's body count, it means each Spartan killed 1.84 Persians. <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> it's just like, wow, okay. <laughs> that's just on screen as well. Yeah, that's the just actual... the ones we actually see yeah. being killed on screen without all the others off screen. <laughs> all the others being used as mortar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right from the start, yes. this film looks like a comic book film. Yes. And obviously we know that it is. Yeah. But right, it's just got that particular look and feel. I love how all of the, all of the individual studios and production companies are given the same aesthetic treatment during the very yeah. short credits. They all get that Schneider filter on them. Yeah. They are, like it all just because it all kinds of plays into that opening scene, doesn't it? Mm. There's the big storm and then the lightning cracks and then it, it illuminates each I just yeah, I'm really into that, and because it's literally you just see the three, like uh, you see Warner Brothers and then the production company and then the yeah. special effects, and then that's it. That is all the credits we get, mm -hmm. and they're all kind of through the same aesthetic. So from the very first second you start watching it, you're in Snyder. You're, you're in yeah, you're in his yeah. little vision of reality. But I do, <clears> I do <throat> like what you said, which I can't remember. <laughs> Ah, that it has that, that terrible that from the very start it looks like a comic book film. it does yes yeah. yes you're right it doesn't it doesn't oh, I don't know because it has in a really bizarre way has the same feel as a Marvel film yeah. which it doesn't no. <laughs> if you look at it aesthetically they're completely different yeah. tonally they're completely aesthetically, different aesthetically it but, is just it is uh, if you didn't know Zack Snyder made it within five minutes of watching this film you'd be like did Zack Snyder make this? Zack Snyder make this? Because this looks like most Zack Snyder films. Well, yeah, because it's, everything is through that nicotine brown yeah. filter of his. <laughs> um, I appreciate the artistic license they show, especially with the wolf in the foreshadowing scene near the beginning of the film. I was going to comment on this, but I decided not to because it would sound pernickety and, and stupid, but I'm going to do it anyway. Wolves aren't that big. No, no. They describe his eyes as being red jewels from the pit. Right. Those eyes are orange. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. 
if you had mentioned the wolf, I wasn't going to. Oh, but... okay. No, I like it. I like because there's the artistic license they use with the wolf. They yeah. make the wolf bigger and scarier. There's the artistic license they use with the immortals where the mask comes off and, and they're, they're not, like they're demons. Not like humans. Yeah, and, and yeah. there's the giant. And um, we got, I've got some other people I shout out in the film later on. And I do love that. I mean, if it had just been a straight historical kind of yeah. this is all accurate then it would be about as interesting as my intros so i love that little the little when i kind of just push it a little bit yeah left every now and then and as, as they say that because this is telling a story that somebody else is telling yeah they can get away with that sort yeah. of thing without people going well uh, actually demons like that don't exist yeah. blah, 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 because it's but through the eyes of a man on the battlefield they could look like demons yeah. and he's telling it to make it that more much yeah. more interesting to and get, really to fire up the the, the, the Spartans yeah. and the Greek army. Um, Zack Snyder is clearly a big fan of Frank Miller. <laughs> when he started work on the DC film universe, his Batman was an extension of Miller's Dark Knight. Here he plays homage to Mil- homage to Miller's comic book by recreating panels directly on the screen. I know you've said it, but I think it's worth um, illustrating that certain parts of this film there are certain literal bits that are exact yeah. panels from the comic book and i do love that i like that kind of thing of where it wasn't just like i'm the filmmaker i love the book but i'm gonna do my own put my own twist on it he's like no i love the book for a reason i love the book i'm going to make the book yeah. on screen yeah yeah and I, and I do appreciate that because it must be easier to just be like oh do you know what it's going to take so much to recreate that yeah we could just do this instead but to instead, get that exact frame yeah it, for you've got a plan either like you like you said you've got yeah. a plan either side of it to get that one frame to be exactly how you need it yeah, yeah i think the the kind of attention to detail really is what takes this film to the next level mm. um i as a lover of powerful women love the queen but all i really see when i look at her Cersei Lannister. It's crazy because I, I'm not even a Game of Thrones yeah, fan. I, I watched the first season and I was like, "This is shit." Um, and yet, yeah, I kept mentally referring to yeah, her as Cersei. Cersei, and I'm like, even the in, fuck, even when we watched Dread, though, I think if you listen to the Dread episode, I called her Cersei all the way through. Yeah, it's because every time I look at her, <laughs> she's just iconically Cersei Lannister. Yeah, regardless of what else she does. But yeah, regardless of what else she does from now on. And I, I think did that's before. a credit to her, though. It's a credit to yeah. her, the way she portrayed Cersei Lannister. That regardless of what else she does, she would always be she's, Cersei Lannister. Yeah. Um, that Spartan warrior cheer. Oh, even in a very yeah. quotable film, that stands out As, to me. Yeah. Um, I have an anecdote about okay. this. This is this led me off on a story. Uh, a good few years ago, uh, Amy, uh, me, Amy, and Dal went to a convention up in Birmingham. Okay. Uh, it was Kitacon for anyone that knows and or cares. Um, <laughs> it was our first proper convention. It was oh, one of those ones where you stay over at the hotel yeah. and what have you. So we were up there for like four days or something, um, and it was an anime-based one at that, which was interesting when you. Know, Amy and I had our Ghostbuster costumes and Dow and I had our Assassin's Creed costumes. Yeah. So, uh, but it was, um, they had these amazing parties of the three days of the con. Yeah. Um, on the, the con circuit at the time, it was known as the party con. Oh, that's okay, basically, that yeah. was their big, they had the, the, the events and the panels and all that shit yeah. throughout the day. Um, and they had like an, uh, an arcade room set up and everything. But it was the parties that yeah. really made it stand out sort of thing. And, um, 
that call, the the what is your profession? Um, that was my, my impression was the worst. It was yeah. possible impression. <laughs> um, that became like a call and response thing. Right, they had like this opening ceremony mid afternoon on the first day, oh, okay. and right from then, right the way through at yeah. the at the, the the parties when they had the DJs up there and at various other big panels throughout it, um, and it was the very last official announcement at like one a.m. or something uh, on the well, the Monday morning. When the final party ended, they called out, you know, Spartans, what is your profession? Yeah. And I'll tell you what, um, until you've seen like several hundred over-enthusiastic nerds of all creeds, <laughs> colours and ages um, chanting that in unison, like literally yeah. as if they were fucking Spartans. It was awesome. I bet it made the hair stand off on your back. Of your it neck, did right? indeed. Yeah. It was it was an awesome experience. And I'm really sad I haven't had a chance to go back to Kitacon since. I'm really sad that I've never been to a convention. <laughs> you were going to come with me one year. I remember you saying. Yeah, I wanted to come to, what one was it? It was London one. That was the uh, MCM. Yeah, but it fell on the birthday of the person that I was living with. And uh, yeah, I didn't think I'd go away with teaching her on my birthday. <laughs> no, probably not. Well, they're all opening back up now, so yeah. plenty I'm, of time. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to a con. <laughs> it's the last fucking thing I do. <laughs> I will go to a con. Um, I love how even the King of Sparta looks to the Queen to get her approval <laughs> before making these decisions. It's like, this is a big decision. Yeah. What do you reckon? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I'll kick him in the pit. Yeet. <laughs> um, um, what is it? Where is it? <laughs> Welcome to Sparta. This yeah. is my Queen. This is my city. This is the big hole I keep for dropping yeah. annoying people into. It's like, what is that? It's just I, like I just a massive like a fucking well. hole. It's like a well. Yeah, but you wouldn't kick like half a dozen dead bodies down into a well. No, but maybe it's like the prison. Yeah. I mean, in in Batman, uh, Bane gets sent to the big hole prison where looking up at the sky to see like the outside mm. world gives you hope and that's what ultimately kills you. <laughs> maybe they just kept people in this big round pit <laughs> I don't I don't know what it's for I'm just speculating damn Faramir has had a rough time since the king returned yeah. <laughs> still he's buff as fuck in yeah. this film so you know swings and roundabouts <laughs> um, the ephors or inbred swine yeah are just freaky right? they are creepy yeah they remind me of something but I can't everything. place what it is I- I kind of, my note, it was like the ephors or in Bretswine are freaky. And I wanted to expound on it because they do remind me of something. Yeah. But I couldn't quite put the way they look, what it the way is. they talk. Yeah. It's, it really reminds me of something and I cannot yeah. place what it is. Me neither. It's so, been bugging me all afternoon. Answers on a postcard. Answers on a postcard, yeah. If you, if you know what our brains are doing. <laughs> the scene with the Oracle is historically inaccurate. The <laughs> Oracle, in reality, told King Leonidas... If they, if they went to war, they would win, but he would die. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They say that the Oracle would go into a trance before delivering her message. Oh. It has been theorised that the Delphi, which housed the Oracle, sat above the joining of three tectonic plates and espoused a gas that would allow the Oracle to get into her trance-like state. Yeah. They never mentioned whether the Oracle oracle was a hot semi-naked redhead though no they did not no. i think i've met her really she she was in game of thrones she's been in several things like that she's a, okay. a gymnast slash actor oh, right. um, and she was working the con circuit quite a lot the other, uh, a few yeah. years back when we were 
attending basically all the conventions. I know Amy's spoken to her because she was at um, one of them, uh, Sci-Fi by the Sea, oh, okay. the other year. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, I've spoken to her at least once, and, and Amy's I'm Amy's a big sure fan. She's spoken to her at several on several occasions. Not, I'd just be staring at her like you've got the most perfect breast. She's just and she's all super yeah. flexible as well. She I've, I've seen her doing that at events where like <laughs> her and some of the other actors from Game of Thrones yeah. were out there, and there's a couple of them that are like these gymnasts, yeah. and they were basically like just doing the splits and these backward oh. curves and everything, and it's like. I'll be a <laughs> <laughs> um, this it's such a stylized film. Yeah. This film that half of the challenge of watching it is trying to figure out which shots are intended as allegory or to be meaningful. Yeah. And which ones are just there to look really cool? I think because there's a lot of them. both. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, is this allegorical, or is it just a really cool shot? Mm. Oh, it's already moved on. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I won't write that note. <laughs> I actually think adapting a comic book the way that this has been adapted, which is almost page for page, mm. worked in Zack Snyder's favour because as his career would go on. We would learn that <laughs> Zack Snyder gets a bit confused about story and about kind of subtext. Yes. So this really probably worked like to keep him in the straight and narrow. Yeah. To tell the exact simple story he needed to tell. You don't you don't get caught on or go in any loopholes yeah. or, or plot holes. This uh, is a world away from um what was that film we covered that I by the, end of, by the end of the episode, I was just confused. Um, I don't know, there's been several. <laughs> no, it's, it's Zack Snyder. Um, we ain't done that many Snyder films. We have. We did the one. Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. Yeah. Well, I was just... Oh, yeah. We're no one knows. Just by the end of it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the Oracle. Yeah. The gratuitous Oracle semi-nudity yeah. is balanced out by the gratuitous Leonidas butt-in-the-moonlight shot, yeah. which is then countered by the Queen Gorgo boobs, yeah. which is then matched by the near constant wall of sweaty muscles we see for the rest of the film. So I like the balance there. Yeah. Lena Headey must have been a bit more desperate to build a career at this point, as I know she refused to do nudity in Game of Thrones. I mean, she'd done it once. Yeah. That's, that's all you need to do. Yeah, I've done I that. I, I didn't realise, like you said earlier, this was a breakthrough. I didn't yeah, realise that. Yeah, this was a breakout that. film. So when you're kind of getting a breakthrough film and they're like, you got to be topless, you'd be like, I don't care. I'll do it. But by the time you're like Cersei Lannister and in series six, <laughs> they want you to walk naked down the street while people scream shame at you. You go, I ain't doing that. You're nah, putting bro. my my head on the on a stump body. On somebody Thank else's you. body. Yeah. yeah. Um, Spartans didn't carry identical shields. They were known to decorate and personalise them. Ooh. Which I thought you would appreciate because you decorate, decorate, decorate and personalise everything. everything. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right down to my microphone. <laughs> Um, when the king leaves when the king leaves with his 300 Spartans <laughs> and the queen tells him come back with your shield or on it this is historically accurate the queen did use this exact Spartan phrase to bid farewell to, farewell to her king the phrase means come back alive or dead and carried on your shield as you've said earlier yeah. sometimes I think Zack Snyder can get a bit carried away visually and overdo it but here I think his style is spot on and the palette of colours and textures he uses work brilliantly. Mm. It's almost... It, it seems ridiculous to use this phrase in a Snyder film. 
especially this one. But that scene, by comparison to the rest, is understated. Yeah. Like design wise, there's it's it's all not a lull, but it's a quiet yeah. in the film. There's, which is what that needs. Yeah, there are there are quite a few scenes in this film that are very understated. And I feel that gives the film dynamics. If it was just constant, like in your face, <laughs> by about halfway through, you'd be like, oh my God. You'd just be fatigued much. of it all. Yeah, yeah, but there are a few scenes, like when we first see, um, what's his face? The hunchback of... Effie Altis. That's the one, Effie. When we first see Effie on, on the big rock, and he's like, we're being followed, and he's like, yeah, we've, he's been following us for a few days. Just that, the, the darkness of it, the, like, the, the few spruces in yeah. the back. It's all just so beautiful. <laughs> Again, when he says that, we're being followed. Yes, Gollum has been following us. Yeah. the Shire. Yeah. What is it? Oh, once it was very much like you hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of bits in here that have got some strong oh, Lord of the Ring vibes. Um, <laughs> the scene where the storm takes out Xerxes' fleet is historically true. <laughs> and I love how they invoke the name of Zeus. In the mm. film's narration. Yeah. We missed that Poseidon, though. He wouldn't be happy. No, he'd be proper pissed off. Proper pissed off that his brother was getting yet more fame. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't say this enough. Yeah. Capes are cool. Yeah. Although I do generally prefer something more than just leather on the pants underneath. Yeah. I, I have a friend. Uh, he's in Iconic Legion. Who does a 300 cosplay. Literally. The leather pants. The... I think he's got a cape sandals shield um and the helmet and i we've done it i've seen him do it in blue water yeah around some of the conventions and i once saw him do it in december Ooh. in uh where's the big cinema square up in london leicester square leicester square the big odeon cinema up yeah. there we were up there for a, a charity event uh there's me in my spartan armor yeah. my you know my halo spartan armor yeah. all snug and warm pissing down with rain freezing cold and there's him walking around in like literally just this little cape and leather underpants does i have to ask and you can cut it out if, if you think <laughs> this person's ever gonna hear it but does he have the body to pull it off he does he does so he's, he's a he's, gym rat probably five years older than me and comfortably oh so and, there's still hope that i could get oh yeah, yeah yeah he's 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 ripped and oh fair enough <laughs> we you, did it if you're that ripped yeah then why the fuck not why would you ever wear clothes why would you wear clothes ripped? at all yeah. exactly we did it, i remember we did it around uh blue water yeah um just before the the, the october before lockdown and um we were in this sort of area collecting for the royal british legion doing yeah. a poppy appeal and a group of us went wandering around. I had my Jedi, which is all sensible robes. Yeah. Um, and we're walking around the shops and he went into Ann Summers. <laughs> he went in there. Oh, my God. Gushing. It was, yeah. I mean, the ladies were gushing anyway. But when he went into Ann Summers and started, uh, you know, chatting the yeah. chat and just uh, hanging out with the, with gonna, the, the staff and that. I was going to say, how much pussy do you think he gets at these events? And I does, shudder to think. Does that make you want to, like, you know, spend the next year in the gym and cosplay? As no. Well? I'd love to do it, but I don't have the dedication. No. I eat too much shit. Uh, <laughs> Xerxes' army has been estimated to be anywhere between 300,000 and 2 million. Yeah, bro. There were a lot of them. Um, unlike in this, though, this is one of the most fascinating things I, I found out about this. 
Unlike in his film, Xerxes' army wasn't brought to Greece by ship. They marched. In order to do this, they had to cross a mile-wide expanse of water. To do this, they strung together hundreds of ships and built a wooden platform over the top of them for Ooh. the army to march on. It's That's pretty impressive, insane. isn't it? Yeah. It's like, you know, we can't get into London if it snows or rains yeah. too heavy or it's a bit windy because the trains can't run. These motherfuckers just tied boats together to cross a mile of river. Yeah. It's like, uh, guys. <laughs> it's just, it's incredible. Like, the amount of time they must have spent building it before the army even got there. Mm. And apparently after all of this, once uh, Xerxes went back to Persia, the Greeks dismantled the bridge mm. and they used some kind of special papyrus or something to string all the boats together. Yeah. The Greeks stole it and it became like a, I don't know, like a, a keepsake of real importance within the Greek community, <laughs> this papyrus that yeah. they used. Yeah. How bizarre. Yeah. Um, when we become global superstars, do you think I can get a throne on a platform and people to carry me around? Why the devil not? Yeah, why not? I mean, you know, I, I want the living steps where it's like, I've reached the edge of my yeah. platform and then there's some slaves. There's another, slave, there's another slave. There's the floor. I'm not sure I want slaves. I might have to pay the people, but... There'll the be slaves. Would... There'll be adoring fans. Oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, yeah my, our adulating public. I'll have one sure lot of adoring fans to carry me around on my throne and another lot of adoring fans to bang. <laughs> Mix and match. Yeah. Yeah. No, because if they're carrying me around all day, they're going to be too tired. And I don't want to do the work anymore. True. I'm at that age. You're at that I age. I just want to lay back and think of English. He just wants to be laid back and ploughed. Yeah. So there you go, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Legs oh, legs akimbo up round these ears, ankles round these ears, and you can just ruin him because he's too old now to be doing the ruining. He wants to be the ruinee. That's, um, that's not what I said. Plug Reggie's arsehole. Plug, <laughs> it, plug it hard. Plug it long. That plug is... it repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't even in my notes. This is just off the cuff abuse. Yeah. I was say, this is, that is not what I said. Um, judging by their outfits, Daxos didn't bring an army of Arcadians. He brought some kind of BDSM fetish yeah, club. Yes. It's like, you know, the, the Spartans... Leather straps yeah. hold their cloaks in place. Daxos and his crew, they turn up and they're literally just wearing fetish gear. I'm like, the black leather pants, the black boots, the random straps across your... Oh. They look like they just come back from a night out of the torture garden. They really do. <laughs> I swear I saw in the back a couple of Tory politicians yeah. <laughs> just on their way back from their mistresses. <laughs> um... There, the our arrows will blot out the sun. Oh, you bastard! Then we will fight in the shade. Is historically accurate. Yep, it is. And I had the exact same thing at the. That was my next note. Or was it really? We have we have synchronized oh, synchronicity. Nice. <laughs> um, whilst this film depicts three hundred Spartans standing against Xerxes' army, in reality there were seven thousand Greeks, three hundred of which were Spartans. The Spartans, yeah, yeah. There was there was there was a whole bunch more of them floating around. Yeah, but over kind of time, it's been it's been chipped away at it. It's just a sensationalized heroic it? Spartans. Yeah, I personally yes. would have taken FELTs and just let him roam around the battlefield, you know, stabbing and fighting. Yeah. Exactly like the rest of the Spartans spend most of the battle doing. Mate, he's yeah. all like, you no, know, we thigh must, to thigh yeah. to face, thigh to face, and it's like. 
you do that once, yeah. and that is right at the very end, yeah. and then you will get slaughtered. It's like for the rest of the battle, you're just breaking rank and just flying around, you're just killing people around, and yeah. it's like, I what? I would have just bought him and then just let him die. He's not going to get past the first wave. No. So just let him die. Just on the... let him go there. He but would then die again, a, a beautiful get, death. He's, and... he's going to get his beautiful death. And that kind of saddies things for the rest of the Spartans, though, doesn't it? I don't know. Oh, I, I don't, don't know, know, but yeah. Um, Apparently there was originally a scene where Ephialtes, after uh, the king basically tells him no, yeah. you know, check over the dead, what have you, blah, blah, blah. He tries to kill himself by jumping off a cliff and survives. And that's oh, when he decides that the gods have forsaken him and he yeah. turns traitor. Oh, okay. But for some reason they cut that. Yeah, I, I don't mean, know why. A, suicide, a failed suicide attempt in right in the middle of this film might have brought it down a, <laughs> a peg or two. Um, the Immortals were Xerxes' heavy infantry and they did march on the Greek second. They wore masks and head coverings like they do in the film. But they were also silent at all times, mm-hmm. which to me is creepy and more intimidating. <laughs> I'm not sure... Where whether or not they were actually the demons, though. Uh, in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, yeah, is it Brotherhood? No, Revelations, the third one. You fight immortals. They're they're one of the they're higher tier enemies. You fight. Oh, okay. And that's all I can think of whenever I hear them people talking about the immortals. I'm like, yeah, killed them. In uh-huh. the, yeah, I was old. The, I killed. In the documentary, <laughs> they said that like on the battlefield, the Spartans were screaming and mm. hollering and. The, and the immortals just kind of marched synchronised towards them mm. deadly silent and I was just sitting there like that would be more scary that would that yeah. would be like if people were like yeah gonna, I'd be like alright they're just you know you can understand that yeah but yeah. if they're just silently marching, marching towards, towards you, you like something out of a fucking horror film <laughs> I'd be like I'm not sure I want to fight these fuckers um, I mentioned this earlier yeah uh, there are some very strong Lord of the Rings vibes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the one that, that you really got me was when you, fir- you see that first Persian charge yeah. and it pans back. It's got a very sort of Helm's Deep sort of thing. Yeah. And also, a spin-off note from this, when are we covering Lord of the Rings? Oh, when I've got time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. That's going to be a special event, guys. We'll yeah. get some guests in for that. Absolutely. Um, Xerxes' army had a lot of success because of their cavalry, but they <laughs> never actually used them in battle as the battlefield wasn't big enough. So, in it, although in the film we do see the cavalry charge... Very briefly. Yeah. In reality, they didn't actually use the cavalry because there was not enough space not for it. space for it, no. You, you do need a lot of space for cavalry. Um, not a lot of the Spartan soldiers get fleshed out, but I do appreciate the banter between the captain's son and Michael Fassbender's character. Yes. As it makes you feel for the son when he eventually loses his head. Yeah. It yeah. Also, there's not a lot of it but it gives you a sense. If you expand that sort of camaraderie yeah. out to the rest of it, you really get a, a, a feel for the, the brotherhood that was yeah. the Spartan army at the time. And in particular, that 300 who were... And their mentality of just like, it's this is fun. This is what we spent. Like, yeah. We got taken away from our parents age seven. And through to 18, we went through the worst training anybody could ever go through to become yeah. this warrior that we are. So fighting and doing this this is what we were this built is for what we were so we're excited to, to actually be out here yeah. facing insurmountable odds like this is what gives us a thrill i didn't realize i'd hark back to it so often yeah. but uh lord of the rings vibes there yeah. very uh gimli and yeah. legolas the the two of Absolutely, them yeah. sparring verbally sort of thing you know in a friendly manner yeah that you know that scene where they're where they're chatting over yeah. the dead uh yeah. persians 
the ones on the wall were all dummies. They were yeah. all mannequins. The one that they pick up and throw on the pile was a real, real. person. Oh, really? Yeah, that was a real person. I suppose that in order to get to get it to look realistic, they had to pick up something that was heavy and ungainly. Yeah, and... so they just used a real person in, oh, okay. in the costume. <laughs> I like that. Um, Immortals. We put their name to the test. Is one of my favourite lines in a film with a lot of good lines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I saw, I was, about the, uh, the when the Persians first charge. Oh, yeah. I felt really bad for the Persians on the front line there. Yeah. Because, you know, although we don't see it in this film, they'd have been getting crushed against the, 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 the immovable Spartans yeah. or the rock of the Spartans by the immovable object, unstoppable force of the their own yeah. army behind them. And then the Spartans start stabbing and they'd have nowhere to move no. or manoeuvre or anything. They'd have just literally been, oh, I can't breathe. Oh, I've been stabbed in the face. Yeah, there's literally no escape, isn't No. There? It's like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Xerxes says, like, I'll kill every single one of my troops in order to win. Yeah. And you're like, well, obviously, because you're, <laughs> you're, setting you're them just all literally up for butchering yeah. them. <laughs> um, the Executioner is a thing of nightmares. Yeah, what the fuck was that all about? I, that was like something out of Warhammer. Yeah, that was it's... one of the uh, leaps of kind of yeah extra extraness that they brought in. But it's just it's so freaky. It's like something out of a John Blanche nightmare. <coughs> it's just like wow. Yeah, no, you really did take some creative license yeah. there. <laughs> um, it reminds me of there's a computer game and I haven't played it and I can't remember what it's called. But is there one where awesome? This conversation's gonna go well. You're kind of in like a dystopian world and oh fuck it just cut the shit <laughs> no um, I'm leaving that in people need to there, see that we do on, go down conversational dead ends it was on there was adverts for it a couple of years ago and what was it Fallout is it Fallout yeah I, I, I don't I've never played the game but from watching the advert that's the kind of thing I expect to see in Fallout Am I right? No 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 okay. that's far more horrific than most of the things you'll find in Fallout Alright moving on those poor poor elephants Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Oh, what did they ever do wrong? How, how triggered were you by that scene? Very. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I was just like, oh, my heart is breaking. <laughs> um, we've mentioned some films that really strip back the the entertaining oh, yeah. elements of uh, melee combat, Kingdom of Heaven and, yeah. and Ironclad most prominently. Um, this is not one of those no. films. All of it is, it, although it's very violent... Yeah. It's all very cinematic, very oh, dynamic, absolutely. and yeah, very yeah. Oh, just. It's just very cinematic, yeah. isn't it? You know, the enemy's charged by and just at just the right angle, and he flips him off his shield, and yeah. rather than then turning around and stabbing him in the back while he hits the next guy, someone else deals with. They go off and deal with someone else, and it's like and then it'll go slow motion as you, you see him turn so much slow mo and slit a throat, and then yeah, speed back up as he as he <laughs> as he comes back and gets someone. Yeah, it's all very. Super stylized, and yeah. Because of stylized. that, because of the super stylized nature, nature of it, it's nowhere near as impactful. No, as some of them things we saw in Ironclad and Kingdom of Heaven, where you're wincing as yeah. people get killed in this. You're just like, okay, looks okay, like so it. they killed. Wow, yeah, they're yeah. awesome. Uh, it looks it's like not, a computer not, game. Yeah, it, yeah, it kind of. With the others, strip it back and give it much more humanity, yeah. or make it much more inhumane. In this one, it's very clear yeah. that it's a film. It's less. It's, it's a piece of entertainment. It's, it's a piece of art. It's less visceral. Yes. And in your face and realistic, and therefore you are, to a certain degree, detached from it. Yeah. It yeah. makes it much easier to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The violence. <laughs> the violence is much easier, even though it's probably more gruesome and more horrific than some of the other stuff we've seen. Yeah. 
it's easier to watch because it's almost so over the top. Yeah, yeah. It it kind of it almost but not quite reaches the ridiculous. And their soundtrack as well. I mean, I really do like the soundtrack in this film, but it's so loud and so overbearing yeah. during the fight scenes. You're not up close and personal with the sound of sword hitting sword or and, and people bleeding out yeah. and screaming whereas and then, yeah. in, in especially in ironclad there's certain fights where all you hear is there's, there's no sound yeah. like it. it's literally just men yeah. butchering one another and you can hear it and that adds that extra yeah. visceral nature to what's going on and yeah interesting interesting fact about the soundtrack yeah i can't remember the guy's name who did it um but basically later versions of this film uh, like with the credits mm. and that and in fact on the official website at one point Warner Brothers had to put a uh, an official note on there because basically the guy who composed the soundtrack ripped off oh. uh, Elliot Goldenthal's soundtrack oh, from... for Titus oh okay um basically yeah there's like half a dozen tracks or something oh really where he effectively just, just and plagiarizes. Warner Brothers were like yeah. it almost went to court and they were like Warner Brothers obviously work a lot with Goldenthal yeah. so they were like no no we'll settle this out of court yeah. and we'll put an official notification on here saying you know without our knowledge some of these tracks yeah. are based on stuff by oh, okay. Elliot Goldenthal and blah 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 I liked the fact that some of it was like guitar heavy mm. but even in a guitar heavy song you'd have a, a section that had like Middle Eastern instruments yeah. in it. And the way the music kind of went in and out of like a very Western and then Middle Eastern yeah. and it blended them together. I really like ever, it. This, have you heard the track uh, Black Market from the Battlestar Galactica soundtrack? Probably. I may do, but I can't. Bear McCreary does something. Uh, obviously, he was the composer he's for very, that. Very good he is, composer. He's incredibly good. Um, I've got several of his soundtracks downloaded actually. And he does something very similar to that. Yeah. It, there's lots of guitars, but then you've got the the Eastern elements in there yeah. with that sort of very sort of Middle East. That that yeah. that you can hear it in your head as soon as yeah. you start thinking. I'm not going to try and impersonate it because no, no, we no. pissed off enough cultures in the yeah. last couple of weeks. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. and this this does that very well as well. Blends the the the, the two oh, okay. very disparate cultures and yeah. styles of music. Um. In reality, the Phoenicians protecting the goat path didn't get beaten by Xerxes' army. They fled before the army had even arrived because they were told their town was under attack. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, sorry, you go. Watching that, the, the big ugly immortal, which <coughs> yeah. I learned today is referred to online as the Uber immortal. Oh, okay. Um, watching him pull that sword... Oh, out of his bicep we've just said about the fights yeah. Look, that bit makes me wince every oh, really? time because it's just like ah, <coughs> ah no no don't no why would you do that <laughs> even more so the one he gets stabbed in the eye with oh, the spearhead yeah. <clears throat> all right sorry <laughs> <laughs> i just had very choking to death it's fine. <laughs> it's fine no wait we haven't got the webcam on i can't monetize that shit Damn. <laughs> um, you're right though like i don't know where his character came from but i loved i loved it because it within that specifically within that fight scene you see them go up against the immortals and you see that it's a bit more even than when they yeah. had the first battle but the spartans are still kind of winning 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 and then all of a sudden this giant uber immortal comes along and for the first time Leonidas 
actually has there's a threat it says that there's a serious chance yeah. that he'll get beaten um, but yeah and the way like he's just putting shit out of him <laughs> and then have, have to cut his head off to beat him is yeah, brilliant another, another thing that you reminded me of when we were talking about that but I can't remember what it was um, this film focuses on the battle at Thermometer this film focuses on the battle at Thermopylae but in reality, this was only half the battle. The other half was fought at sea, where an Athenian politician, whose name I can't remember, <laughs> held off Xerxes' fleet long enough that they couldn't come to shore and attack Leonidas and his army from behind. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, nothing makes me happier than when the Queen stabs and kills the sleazy corrupt politician. Uh, mate, my note on that is uh, seeing Theron get shanked. Yeah. Mwah. It's brilliant. Also, you've jumped way ahead of my notes again. Oh, you go then. <laughs> I didn't think I had many notes, but you keep leaping ahead of me. I think at this point, after I'd read the other one, I was just start watching the film. <laughs> um, I have a very short note. Play that funky music, Goat Man. Yes. But as we were discussing earlier, where the fuck did he come from? How did none no of us remember that? Yeah. What is he doing? And Who knows? What? Is there a reason he's there? Like, I don't know. Was it just... Oh, this just escalates. This, just... this whole scene's really weird yeah. and 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 seedy. It's almost and... like a dream. Yeah, the entire scene really it is fucked very up. Seedy, it's it's a very seedy. It's it, it's like yeah, it's sultry, but it's also not. It is all seedy and a little bit yeah. unnerving. It's like almost like a nightmare sequence. Yeah, um, so something's not quite right. There, yeah. Maybe that's why the goat man's there. Um, Poor old Effie gets taken <laughs> for a proper mug, doesn't he? He fucking loves it, don't he? Yeah. Some of the dialogue. And indeed, acting in this film leaves something to be desired. Some of it. I think yeah. it's primarily a dialogue because if you look at the the the, the caliber of actors, you've got some you've got some oh, big yeah. names in here, and you've got some you've got some some good quality actors. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably more down to its pedigree. I think. I have been, you know, I, I'm not. I have outed myself as not being the biggest fan of comic book dialogue. Oh, I know. And uh, this film lives up to that. <laughs> they get, I think they get caught somewhere in between having good dialogue, but mm. also kind of being respectful to the time period. It's yeah. Because, like, you, you're you not going to hire someone, on like Joss Whedon or Kevin Smith, to go in and write this film. No, no. Because it would all be witty back and forth. And you're like, people didn't talk like that talk in that, that time period. So, so you've got to kind of bring a certain sense of, like just stating facts and yeah. literalness to the conversations they have. But at the same time, you need to then make that as entertaining as, entertaining. as the film looks. Yeah. So the it, film's very dynamic. The dialogue isn't. There's a fine line between kind of finding the right sort of dialogue to fit the way it looks. Yeah. But also paying respect to the time to period, the time and, period. And, the setting. and I think occasionally it gets lost. Yeah. Yeah. It does. I've got, I think the worst ones are Michael Fassbender yeah. because he is a he is a classy actor yeah. and some of his in this is just But then if this was his first film Yeah, but he'd been on the stage before yes, now. But you know what it's like the difference between stage and film and stage yeah, driving to project and do yeah. all this stuff and then suddenly you're putting flows from one to the next you're yeah, putting in front of a camera and it's like Stop, cut. stop, yeah. go. Yeah. So he's and if it's his first time, he's probably still trying to adapt. Yeah, true. I mean, our first podcast wasn't as good as we keep harking back some to of that. the others. <laughs> some of the others, yeah, not definitely not this one. <laughs> um, 
this film did something I didn't expect it to do, and yes. it made me feel sorry for Effialtes. Yeah, me too. He just right want, he just traitors. wanted to belong. Even at the end, when when well, when he's talking to Xerxes and he says, "I want I want the uniform." Yeah. Oh, and all it. he wanted, he just wants to be accepted, yeah. to be part of something. And he's spent his entire life being shunned because of that. Yeah. And then he gets it. And then when fucking old Leonidas just cuts the legs out from under him at the end. Like, and he just that. like turns away and starts crying. And you're like, oh, man, now I feel bad for him. I mean, I, I it's felt... your fault they've got this far, but. Yeah, I mean, if... <sighs> I do feel sorry for him because all he ever wanted to be was part of something. Yeah. But at the same time, he's a traitor. And yeah, he did bring it on himself. Yeah. But but that, I have to admit that you're right. That that one line where he's like, "There is one more thing." I just want a I uniform. Want a uniform. Yeah. And you're like heartbroken. Oh, I know man. he's currently traitoring, <laughs> and you don't like traitors. But my heart is he's so desperate to, to be accepted. Breaking. He's like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll take the hot women. Yeah, I'll take all that other stuff. But what I really want, what I really want, is a uniform. Yeah. And I give him that uniform with a funny hat, with a ridiculous hat. <laughs> Um, it's like this... jokes on you mate we're going to dress you <laughs> up like a right cunt this will not be over quickly yeah. you will not enjoy this sounds like you at the start of a relationship we've already established that the sex was over too too quickly to require a warning <clears throat> however it also sounds like something we should be saying to anyone with any sense when they start an episode of Touch Jig that we thinking... should replace our intro music with just that no just have it before the intro music it's like and then you know, it's not like we didn't tell you <laughs> you were warned yeah. guys <laughs> but um, yeah that does sound like me it does doesn't it yeah i'm just i'm just uh the future ex mrs solo if you're if you're out there listening um it will not be over quickly and you will not enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> i am not your king <laughs> he is not your king i mean most of the time you'll be wondering if he's even a guy and if you pass me the glue mate i am mending any broken wings oh my goodness um <laughs> <laughs> no, no, oh god! The, oh fuck! I've lost it. <laughs> he's, he's lost it. He's derailed himself, guys. Um, the moment before the final battle, where Leonidas thinks about the queen, mm. is a lovely moment. It is a lovely. Again, it's another one of those. Dynamically, yeah, it dips right down for that. Yeah. It's not an understated one like the, the their initial, yeah. very intimate scene, um, because he is obviously on a battlefield. Even yeah. though it pans up to sort of like the, his bust to, to, to exclude all of that it is on the battlefield and they do keep cutting away to the archers who are about to yeah. shoot him with really cool looking arrows it's almost like the visual representation of behind every great man is <laughs> a great woman but it's also like you see these men and they're like we have been trained not to feel we don't show yeah. pain rah, rah, rah. and even at the beginning when they say goodbye and he's like I love you but I can't tell her that Yeah. But and then in this moment Right before he knows he's about to die, she is all we can think about. Yeah. It's it's a, it is a love in what is a very masculine kind of film. It's a very touching I love moment. I love this. this, this I know we've, we've not exactly been praiseful of Snyder's subtext. Yeah, but in this film, if you look at it, there is a subtext. The whole thing takes place for love. Yeah, because they love. They love their wives, their sons, their daughters, their, their their country. Yeah, you know they love they love Sparta. They love Greece. They love and they, freedom. The whole reason they go there is for the love of these things. Yeah. It's not hate, which is why it's so impactful when the captain yeah. says, "I filled my heart with hate," yeah. because everyone else is there for love yeah. of someone back home, of home, whatever, um, and they all die 
for love. Yeah. And you can imagine there's all these people like, oh, yeah, hoorah, rah, rah, rah. And they, they, they completely miss that subtext. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is one another one of them films like Fight Club and other things where it's like there's a certain demographic of people watching this film that completely, completely miss the point. Completely miss it. That all of this is driven by love yeah. and not hatred. Yeah, you're right. Um, I love the shock on the faces of the Persian general and Xerxes when Leonidas takes off his helmet. Yeah. When they're like, wait, is he actually he doing can, it? Yeah. And sitting there as the audience, I remember watching it the first time in the cinema and going, oh, yeah. wait, no, he's that, not this isn't that, how is this no. ends. Yeah. I, I know the story of Thermopylae and this isn't how it ends. And obviously watching it now, you're yeah. like, <laughs> 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 see what you did there? The look of shock on Xerxes' face when he gets hit with, with the arrow. Yeah. And then the fear that follows it it's because like up to this point he's like i am a god i am a god nothing can touch me rah 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 and then leonidas says to him before this is over like this will happen this will happen and i will make you bleed yeah i'll and show then, that even a, even a god, god can, can bleed, bleed. Yeah. yeah and in that moment when he gets hit with a thing it's probably the first time in his entire life that anyone's ever laid a finger on him and he's just like fuck Fuck, oh, I can't bleed. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm not a god. I'm not a god. And yeah. it happens in front of his entire yeah. army as well, which undermines him. Yeah. Uh, do you think that bright future that Leonidas in- envisioned included TikTok, food banks, and sending warships to intercept refugees? <laughs> I tried to pick th- three things that were on the same level of toxicity there. <laughs> I don't think he ever envisaged Greece being in as much catastrophic debt as they are either. No, probably not, actually. (laughs) But no, the future that he was fighting for, much like any soldier that's ever fought, (laughs) um, is probably not the one that they they actually ended up with. I mean, can you imagine Leonidas popping back to life right now? (laughs) Just doing a TikTok video. He's just been popping. It's it's just like spend a few, few weeks getting to know the world. Yeah. And then just hurl himself off of a cliff. <laughs> it wasn't worth it! Splat! <laughs> I didn't want to live forever. What the fuck is a TikTok? <laughs> Vine was better! <laughs> um... <laughs> Don't at me, you know it's My right. space beats Facebook every day of the uh, week. Facebook won't even let me play music. Splat! I can't design my own front page and have my top friends. <laughs> no, yeah, no one competes for the yeah. top eight spaces anymore. No. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> the good old days, kids. The good old days. The good old days of my space. <laughs> uh, I only have one that left, and okay. it's my. It's a very brief summation. I have no um, notes left. So. That is quite an ending scene, though the heavy-handed use of that nicotine brown filter does spoil it somewhat. Yeah. It kind of... If it had done... Because they kind of bounce between the 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 nicotine shades of nicotine, yeah, and shades of grey. Yeah, if they'd done that one in the shades of grey, I realise it wouldn't have fit tonally, but visually, you would have been able to see the the the, the, the Grecian army, army much much better. Here, it's just kind of a rippling blur. It could be a wheat field, yeah. Because I, I, I'm assuming I think that maybe it was probably to save time and money and to make it's getting attacked by a by a crane fly there it's, it. it's literally caught on your eyelash <laughs> daddy long legs daddy long legs just tried to yeah, impregnate face. his eye <laughs> um. but yeah i think maybe time cost 
kind of it really took three years to do the post production. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if like Snyder just got like it's, oh that's a moth this time. Yeah. Um, I wonder if Snyder just got like a a, a bulk deal yeah. on nicotine brown filters, but they had a use by date or something, and he had to had to get them all out. I don't know. <laughs> We're, we're, sorry guys we're being bombarded yeah. all of a sudden like all these critters have flown in through my open window literally all the insects in the world it's like there, there were none and now there are bloody millions of them hang on a second uh do you have a score i do indeed have a score i'm ooh, sorry guys just elbowed the mic arm there i am giving it a solid 7.5 oh oh i'm giving it a solid seven oh. and i'm glad i have to admit right now I had this horrible feeling when I was watching this film <laughs> that this is going to be another one that I turned up excited to do and you just shit on. So I'm quite happy that you didn't. I'm quite happy this is not another snatch. No, I, I really like the film. I really, oh, I really like I this it. film. Um, I liked it. The cinema, I've liked it every single time I've seen it. Since. I haven't seen it many times. This is probably the third or fourth time I've watched it. Have you seen the sequel? I have not. No. Was it 300 Rise of an Empire? Yeah. It's, not it's, bad. A, it's a prequel, isn't it? I can't remember. I've seen it. I, I've only seen it once. I remember kind of getting to the end and being like, it's good. It's got, it's, it's it's got a couple of the original cast, yeah. but yeah, it's 300 should have been a one and done. Oh, but... absolutely. But then they were Cash like, grabs. Oh, yeah. They made, if you make 390 million, you're like, yeah, isn't it? Is, it's 50 million. Go it's make 50 another million. one. Go make another one, yeah. <laughs> so we won't be covering the. the prequel slash sequel no no okay well i've never seen it so i don't know i might watch it and go oh my god this is amazeballs but it seems somewhat unlikely it's from from my memory it sort of takes part on ships so Uh, okay let's see so it might actually be the the other half of what actually happened (laughs) in in reality from what what i saw earlier on 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 netflix they had the trailer for it it's it's lena Headey stood on there and she says 10 years ago the 300 died so okay so it's possibly that actual final battle which sends xerxes home could be yeah That is, there is One the world. is stuck in your. Thing. It's like fucking Thunderdome up there. There's your a there's, a, there's a daddy, daddy long legs and a moth in my my paper Death Star lamp because uh, yes, I'm nearly forty. Fighting to the death. And they they're fighting to the death in there. They're not actually. They'll just get cooked very slowly because yeah. that's that's uh, an energy saving. Uh, and that's an LED bulb. So oh, lovely. They'll, they'll take forever to die. Um, um, anyway, yeah, you guys don't care about that. Fourteen point five is fourteen point five. That is a that is a respectable score. Well done, Zach. Yeah, well done. That's, yeah. that's that's his highest scoring so far, isn't it? Yeah, on this podcast, yeah. On this, well, I mean, <laughs> the only scale that matters, really. <laughs> We're never going to cover his DC work, so. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations. Congratulations. That's all the films you ever made. <laughs> uh, find what you love. Believe in it. Positive things will happen. Tachigians, ready your breakfasts and eat heartily. For tonight, we dine in hell.